Welcome to Living With, a podcast about the stories and people behind Health Union. Health Union integrates the power of human connection and technology, uniting people in the shared experiences of life with chronic health conditions. I'm Emily Downward. Hannah Noonan is a contributor and moderator for IrritableBowelSyndrome.net from Melbourne, Australia. In addition to having personal experience with irritable bowel syndrome, Hannah is a nutritionist who has a holistic approach to health. So how were you diagnosed with irritable bowel syndrome or IBS? I think uh, it was a quite common way that I was diagnosed in that I went to the doctor and there was no explanation after doing testing for my digestive symptoms. And so she just said, I think you've got IBS. And it was kind of like you've just got IBS. And I know a lot of people in the IBS community really dislike that term just Mm. because for a lot of people it can be quite debilitating. And it's kind of brushing it off saying, oh, it's nothing important. It's just IBS. So that's what she said to me. I just, I think you've got IBS. And she said to try the low FODMAP diet because in Melbourne, the low FODMAP diet was developed here at a local university. So it's quite um, well known amongst the medical community. So she said, just try the low FODMAP diet. And because I was studying to be a nutritionist at the time, I was like, oh, yeah, I know all about that. I never really thought it would would apply to me, but I thought, yeah, I'll give it a go. And can you pronounce all the words that that make up the acronym FODMAP? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no, now you put me on the spot. (laughs) Fermentable, oligosaccharides, disaccharides. And Mono- polyols. Monosaccharides <laughs> and polyols. Monosaccharides and polo- yeah. polyols. So for people who don't know what that is, yes. um, can you explain what low FODMAP means? So there are certain uh, foods, plant foods, that contain carbohydrates that ferment easily in the digestive system. So a low FODMAP diet is reducing those highly fermentable foods to reduce the symptoms that people get with IBS. So bloating, abdominal pain, diarrhea, constipation. So it's aiming to really lower the intake of those fermentable foods so that, you know, you're symptom-free or at least the symptoms are reduced. And you've written that this should not be a forever diet. Why is that? Yes, because there's more and more research being done into the long-term effect of any restricted diet, and in particular the low FODMAP diet, because it reduces the fermentable foods and those fermentable foods are what feeds the healthy bacteria in your digestive system. So by restricting those foods, you're not allowing those healthy bacteria to grow. And that's really important to have the diversity of different bacteria, but also to have the healthy ones in abundance. And that that might be able to cause long-term problems for people. And that's what they're still researching at the moment. Mm. So go back to... um your your IBS and your experience with, with gut health, you've written that that has shaped your career or caused you to make a change in your career. Can you talk about it did. that? It did. Well, for a long time, I'd had, you know, just poor health and just general poor health. So um, dealing with asthma on a daily basis, hay fever or allergies, just feeling tired and not being able to cope with things, anxiety, that type of thing. So just underlying poor health. And I got to the point where I was just a bit fed up with it and I wanted to try different things. So I tried some different dietary changes, 
like I went paleo for a long time, so cutting out a lot of um, grain products and dairy products, and I saw a massive change to my health and I just felt so much better. And I thought, wow, you know, just by changing some foods, you can change how you feel. Mm. And I thought that that was incredible. And I'd already always had a passion for cooking and for recipes ever since I was a, a child and a teenager. So I really became even more passionate about it when I saw the difference that food had. And I'd always had these digestive issues as well, but they were never resolved. And so I decided to change my career path and move into something that I was really passionate about that I could see myself working in the long term and to help people, uh, you know, understand how food can affect their body as well. So I decided to go to uni and get a degree to become a nutritionist and I just finished this year. Congratulations. Thank you. It was quite a journey. (laughs) Yeah. You share a lot of delicious recipes on irritablebowelsyndrome.net and one of my favorite go-tos for when I have a flare of IBS is the chocolate turmeric smoothie. Oh, yes. Oh, it's so good. (laughs) (laughs) And so soothing. You just feel lovely when you drink it. Yeah, I feel like it's a treat and not a medicine, but it really does help. (laughs) Yeah, that's fantastic. Are all these recipes ones that you've created and tried at home? Yes. So, like, I got tired of being unable to find foods that I could eat because of so many, um, you know, restrictions and things that would cause me symptoms I just found it frustrating to be able to find recipes. So I just started developing them in my house and feeding them to my family and really enjoying them. And it's really great to be able to share them and show people that you can eat, you know, good, delicious, nutritious food while you're still on, you know, quite strict restrictions. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, well, I really appreciate all the, the unique recipes that you share because it gives me some new ideas of things that I can try that I haven't tried yet. Oh, my pleasure. That's great. So IBS is a bit of a strange diagnosis and different people have widely different experiences and symptoms. Yes. There's also not just one cause or trigger for this condition. Yes. Um, But one of the causes can be a change in the amount of bacteria in your intestines. Mm -hmm. So I know you went through getting tested for small intestinal bacterial overgrowth or SIBO. Were you having symptoms? I was. So I'd been told that I had IBS a few years beforehand and I'd followed the low FODMAP diet and I'd seen a massive difference in my symptoms, but I was still following it quite strictly. I was still able to eat things that were high FODMAP, but I was still cautious of everything I was eating and whether it had garlic or onion or different types of fruit. And I knew that you weren't supposed to be on the low FODMAP diet long term. So I knew that there must have been something else going on. And so I'd heard about SIBO and I'd read about it and learnt about it and I thought maybe this is something that I have and I realised that there was a test that I could do, that they sent it to me, that I did it at home, a breath test, and I thought this is something that I should do. So I took the test and it came back positive for SIBO and finally I had an answer to why I'd been feeling this way and I had hope that there was something that I could do to fix it. Yeah, the microbiome is one of the things that is so fascinating to me in health right now, not just for, for IBS, but for all sorts of different conditions. A lot of the different communities that Health Union has, there are studies that show the microbiome plays a role, um, yes, whether yes. that be in autoimmune disease or even in some, some types of cancer development. So I, this, this area just fascinates me. (laughs) Uh, Me too. And it's because there is so much new information that's being found all the time 
that we haven't even touched the surface of what the true meaning of the microbiome is. And I, I'm so excited about the future and how many people can be helped once we have a better understanding of it. Yeah. So, yeah, and just like what you eat and how the, the different things you can do that can change your microbiome. And, and like you were saying earlier, it can totally change how you feel. Yeah, exactly. So when you were getting treated for SIBO, you wrote about that you went from your symptoms of IBS-C, which is IBS with predominantly constipation, to IBS-D, mm-hmm. IBS with predominantly diarrhea. Yes. That treatment can be a really trying process. How did you cope with the side effects and stay motivated to continue the treatment? Uh, yeah, it was. It, like From day one of starting the herbal antimicrobial treatment, I just felt awful. Like I was exhausted and I was grumpy and... Like it was just a really hit me hard. And then to go from you know, constipation to diarrhea all the time and having to run to the toilet and and trying, you know, not to be on public transport for too long or in the car too long because I had to be close to a toilet was, you know, it was quite shocking to me because of being constipation, you can kind of manage that and you don't need to rush anywhere. But it was quite incredible and I suppose I just knew that I wanted to get better and I knew that it was going to be a number of months of this treatment and so I just persevered with it because I just had hope that at the end of the treatment that I would be able to live a normal life. So that kept pushing me. But I I did also speak to my practitioner and and we kind of modified the treatment a little bit so that, um, you know, my symptoms weren't as bad. So that was really helpful too. And so since you've been treated and you finished the treatment, your symptoms have gotten better, right? Yes. So after the treatment, which was about three months, I was able to start introducing food back into my diet that I hadn't been able to eat for some time. And that was amazing, you know, just just to be able to go out to a restaurant and just order something and not have to worry about how it will make you feel afterwards was amazing. But it did take time and I had to slowly introduce new foods like legumes and some grains as well. But over time, like I was able to tolerate these foods and now I'm I'm practically symptom free. And that's been about a year and a half since I was treated for SIBO. Wow, that's fantastic. Yeah, and I know that it can relapse and I know that a lot of people do have relapses and have to get treated again, depending on what the underlying cause of SIBO is. But thankfully for me, I've been able to manage it for that time. So, yeah, I'm really grateful that I was able to get the test and, and find somebody, a practitioner that was able to treat it. And it's been an amazing journey. You've been an advocate for irritable bowel syndrome.net since the site launched in 2016. What has it been like mm-hmm. for you to be a part of this community? It's been really eye-opening because people with IBS, and well, me in particular, I suppose, it's not something that you talk about with, you know, your extended family or even your friends or colleagues. So you kind of deal with it on your own and perhaps the people that you live with know about it or people that you speak to, but you do feel quite isolated Mm. and not everyone wants to hear about your bowel movements. So, (laughs) you you know, you keep it to yourself and so nobody really knows what's going on. But being part of the site meant that it opened up my eyes to how many people around the world were dealing with IBS and how it was affecting their life. And so it was really fantastic and it has been being able to connect with people and understand how people are feeling and for them to understand how you're feeling. 
And just to jump on the Facebook page or the website and read other people's experiences and interact with people has been so much, you know, it's been such a support to me that it's, you know, it's been really fantastic. Oh, that's great. Well, we are so glad that you're a part of our community. Oh, thank you. Um, so I'm going to go back a bit to restricted diets because yes. these are like all the rage, right? Every, there's so many different <laughs> diets and everybody has the solution for you. Right? Yes. <laughs> so when are restricted diets good and when aren't they? Well, in my experience, I think they are good for a short period of time to manage symptoms. So if you're looking for some relief uh, for a period of time to try and figure out whether the different foods are having an impact on your symptoms, I think it's really helpful. But I do think it's important to do it with the guidance of a practitioner, whether that's a nutritionist, a dietitian, a doctor, whoever it is, so that they can guide you through it to make sure that you're not unnecessarily restricting your diet because as we talked about it has an effect on the microbiome so you don't want to do anything that's going to make you worse in the long term but still find a way to give you relief in the short term and hopefully find some answers because a lot of people do the low FODMAP diet and find out that they only have an issue with a certain you know category of the FODMAP foods so they can actually eat everything else but beforehand before they tried the low FODMAP diet everything was just getting confused and they didn't know what was affecting what so it might just mean that they stay away from garlic and onion and that's it and they can eat lots of other foods so it it can be really helpful to figure out things but then you do need to be cautious about long-term effect yeah I I have not done low FODMAP I will admit Mm -hmm. but I did do um, an anti-inflammatory diet several years ago and when yes. I started adding foods back in, I noticed that's when I figured out I cannot eat dairy or gluten. Yes. It, yep. it not only impacts my IBS, but it was in creating more pain in my body. Yeah, exactly. So that was the thing I really noticed was when people now ask me like, oh, how do you go without cheese or how do you not eat this gorgeous bread? <laughs> I'm like, you know what? Pain. Pain. Is, <laughs> I don't, <laughs> it's not worth it. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And that's what a lot of people don't understand is, oh, it's just a little bit of this or it's just a little bit, try this, try that. But they don't understand the effect that it has on your body and how you want to feel good. So, you know, passing up a piece of cake, you know, to feel good for the next 24 hours is worth it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Unless it's gluten-free cake and then I might have a piece. (laughs) (laughs) But yes. So if someone thinks that they might have IBS or, or even SIBO, what would you recommend that they do? So I think it's really important to seek professional help. So go and see their doctor or a naturopath or whoever they prefer, a health professional, to look at what their symptoms are and whether there are any red flags so that might need to be investigated further. So a lot of doctors will recommend that a patient goes and sees a gastroenterologist to get a colonoscopy or other tests just to rule out uh, something like inflammatory bowel disease or other issues because they can be quite serious and, you know, require surgery in some cases, etc. So it's really good to get that advice about whether further investigation needs to be done. Mm. Um, but also then to figure out whether 
you know, whether there are medication that you could take or whether there are special diets like the low FODMAP diet that you could follow that could help you reduce symptoms. But I think it's really important to go and see the professional because, you know, Google can just be you know, <laughs> like a rabbit hole. There is so much information there and it's so hard to distinguish you know, what's real and what's not. And if you start reading about your symptoms, you're like, oh, my God, I've got this or I've got this or I've got that. So it can be a bit scary when you Google your symptoms. So it's definitely best to to see a doctor or somebody to actually get started and, and see whether there's something else going on or whether it, it is IBS and whether that can be managed through dietary changes or other things like getting tested for SIBO, et cetera. That's a good point. Do you want to talk about your experience? Mm. Oh, I hate <laughs> <laughs> You don't like being the one answering the question. Well, you know how you said, like, this is something you don't talk about, right, in, yes. in polite society. So I, I don't talk about it with many people unless I absolutely have to. Like, I, I recently wrote about on for the site that I was with some girlfriends and we were just having a fun afternoon of getting together with food and, and wine and they're really good about, they know my dietary restrictions and they, mm. they keep cheese separate and they know, you know, they make things that I can eat. But for whatever reason, I had this horrible flare of IBSD. So I was going wow. to, I went to the bathroom three times within 15 minutes and oh. it was just horrible. And I'm, I'm embarrassed cause I'm at my friend's house and I, it's still embarrassing. It's not something I like to talk about. And um, it's just not something I can always control. Even though I control yes. the triggers I can with watching what I eat and trying to manage my stress and, you know, the things we can. But sometimes it just flares up and I have no idea why. Mm. Yeah, that could be so challenging. And I see that as a common theme that people talk about is that they just they don't know what triggers it. They try and do their best and they... They just think that they're doing everything that they can and then it just happens and it can be so frustrating and wear you out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That, and that's the other thing. It's, I mean, the bathroom part is, you know, you can't really hide if you're going to the bathroom three times in 15 minutes at a friend's house. But yes. besides that, it's the fatigue. And yes, I feel like, you know, I'm not getting the nutrients that my body needs and I'm just absolutely worn out and ugh. That, that part is people don't realise, I think, that IBS can do that. Yeah, exactly. And, and that's why people, other people don't understand it unless you actually have it, that it, is, it affects your body in so many different ways. It's not just going to the toilet or not going to the toilet. Yeah. And one of our other advocates wrote about um, the bloating and how yes. it looks like you're pregnant even if you're not. You know, yes. like I think blo- bloating was always my biggest symptom or the most noticeable symptom because you'd eat breakfast in the morning and then I would just get bloated and that would stay with me throughout the entire day, which meant that it made eating other food throughout the day difficult because it was would add to it. And you also felt just extremely discomfortable, you know, uncomfortable during the whole day and in pain. Yeah. And yes, worrying about what what am I wearing? Am I wearing something too loose so it looks like I'm six months pregnant, <laughs> or too tight so I can't move? And it just it was really frustrating. And all I wanted to do was go to bed because often in the morning I would wake up and it would be better. But then you'd mm. eat something and it would start all over again. Yeah, 
Yeah, I have that too. The morning before before I eat anything, I like to look in the mirror then because I'm like, look how flat my belly is. <laughs> this is the flattest it's going to be all day. <laughs> yeah, you yeah. have to enjoy those little moments. <laughs> you did. So you recently wrote in one of your articles that you did a stool test. Can you tell me about that? Yes, and it's not as bad as it sounds. So this one's a, a modern test where you just take a little swab on a um, little uh, stick and put it in the post. And because I'm in Australia, I had to send it off to America. So off it went <laughs> across the oceans to America to be tested in a lab. And what they then provided to me was a, a thorough examination of all of the bacteria in my digestive system which was really quite surprising. Um, it showed that I had an abundance of lots of healthy bacteria, but then also that I was missing some completely or that they were you know, lower than detectable levels. Mm. It also showed that I had uh, a diverse range of bacteria, but it wasn't optimal where it should be. And I'm not surprised considering that I've had you know, many courses of antibiotics in my life and herbal antimicrobials and restricted diets. So... I didn't think it was too bad. But one thing that came out of it, and this is extra um, training that I've done to understand these tests, is that it is really important for to have a diverse um, microbiome is to eat a wide range of plant foods because not only do they contain bacteria, but they also feed the bacteria in your digestive system. So the more the greater variety that you can eat of different types of foods, the greater variety that you'll have in your gut. And I find that really fascinating because, you know, as we were talking about, that when you are on a restricted diet, you know, some people that I've spoken to and, and clients is that they're eating chicken and carrots and that's about it. And so they're not getting that range of nutrients. So for people who have gone through treatments who are trying to improve their gut health for the long term, it is really important to have a range of food and to eat those prebiotic foods that actually feed the bacteria, which for those of us with IBS cause symptoms. So it's really, you know, a fine line between eating too much of those foods and just the right amount to, to feed the bacteria. Yeah. In addition to diet, what other suggestions would you give someone who is suffering with IBS? Well, there's a, a few different things that I've found really useful for myself and I've seen in clients as well is stress management so you can't avoid stress for, for a lot of people but and it's there and it comes up for different reasons and everyone has their own triggers but it's really important to understand when you are stressed and what you can do to help with that so different people have different ways of managing stress for my husband he loves to play golf so that's his thing um, for me you know I'm quite happy to rest maybe have a bath um, maybe read a book or do some cooking. So those are the types of things that help me manage stress and also exercise. So for a lot of people, it can be challenging to do like high intensity exercise when you have IBS, but even something simple like walking or yoga. So different poses can help massage the digestive system to help get, get things moving, particularly if you've got um, constipation. And so any exercise that you can do, even swimming, that type of thing. So they're really helpful. Not only do they help you manage stress, but they also help get the blood pumping through your digestive system, which can help the symptoms. 
And I think, you know, having a support system, so if there is somebody that you can lean on, that can you can talk to about your issues, that, you know, that get what you're going through. So whether that is somebody in your family or a friend or whether it is going to the IBS site and connecting with other people that have, you know, similar symptoms and issues going on in their life. I found, find that really helpful too. You mentioned bath, and I, I know you wrote an article about Epsom salt and how that can yeah. help with bloating. <laughs> yeah, well, it, it helped with me, and I don't know whether that was the fact that I was resting or whether it's the magnesium in the water, but I find that really helpful is just to relax in a bath. And for those people that don't have a bath in their home, it can also be a foot bath, so you can use a bucket mm. and put your feet in that too. And it's just trying something. You know, I think that that's what I've found is that I'm just willing to try anything and see what difference it makes um, rather than just continuing, you know, doing the same old things and not getting any results. Uh, like I've found it really helpful just to try something and, or somebody recommends this or somebody recommends that. And that's been, you know, really great to figure out what works and what doesn't work for me. It's great when you find what works. It can be frustrating when you find another thing that doesn't, but yes. Yes. It's like, oh, no, yes. it made me worse. But it's, it's a trial and error thing, I think, for everybody. And because everybody is so different with their symptoms and how they react to different treatments, it's so hard to say what will work for one person will work for another. Mm. And that's the frustrating thing about IBS is that it does affect everybody so differently on a day-to-day basis. Yeah, and we've I've seen that on the on our site as well. Like just how people are. I think most most everyone that shares their stories or advice says, you know, this worked for me, but I don't know if it's going to work for you. Um, <laughs> yeah. And it seems like all of us have tried multiple things to try to f- figure out what what might be our triggers or what works best for us. Exactly, and and that's why I think sites like this are really good because you can hear such a wide variety of people's experiences and different treatments and and things that they've tried or tests that they've had and it gives you such a a good understanding about different options out there so you can look into them further yeah that's true you made me talk about my IBS much more than I was planning on doing (laughs) that's good see that's what you know it is because I think the more people talk about their symptoms and what they're going through the more people realize that it's okay to talk about it Um, and I just find that really empowering that we can talk to each other about our issues and that it's okay and that it's not taboo. And it also helps a lot of people who are dealing with these symptoms who think that they're normal to actually realise, oh, hang on, there's something going on here. Maybe Mm. I need to get this looked into because I don't know how many years I suffered with constipation and bloating, et cetera, and just thought that that's just me and that's just what happens. You know, after you eat a large meal, you get a little food baby. I thought that that was normal. I didn't realise that there was a concern. And, you know, and with the constipation, I didn't realise that not going to the toilet every day was not normal. So, mm-hmm. you know, the more I read about it, the more you talk about it and hear about it, the more you realise that there are issues here but that can be resolved as well through different treatment options. That's true. Yeah, we do want to encourage people not to suffer in silence. Yeah, exactly. You know, hopefully one day they'll have such a better understanding that people won't have to live like this. Mm. Mm. That would be great. Well, I think it's going to go, it comes back to the microbiome, you know, as they keep finding out more about this and finding out 
what we're doing that influences it in different ways, in positive and negative ways, that's, that's going to be the key to a lot of things, I, I believe. And, yeah, and more advanced testing as well. So that's changed in the, the last 20 to 50 years. So I think that that's exciting as well. Yeah. Well, thank you so, so much for taking the time to talk to me. And it's, it's really been such a delight to get to, to chat with you. Yeah, it's been fantastic. I've, I've really enjoyed it. It's, it's really nice to be able to talk about your experiences. To read Hannah's articles and recipes, visit irritablebowelsyndrome.net. You can find more health communities at health-union.com. Thank you for listening to Living With. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe at iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.